This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. What happens after we die? For many, it's not a topic we often want to talk about, and looking deeper into the nuts and bolts of passing on is a difficult task. Yet it is a fact of life, an inescapable inevitability, and it has been a go-to subject for artists, writers, and musicians from all around the world for centuries. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. You know, most of us believe in the idea of insurance, you know, health insurance, auto insurance, travel insurance, and life insurance, all helpful to provide some financial security when a tragedy or an accident occurs. Yet when we think about death, we may have life insurance to protect those who we leave behind, but what insurance do we have in securing our future for eternity? This is perhaps the most important matter we face in life, and how we secure a future after we die is so very important. Today I have a good friend with me, Chris Hebe. He's from Chosen People Ministries. He's returning to the City Sites microphones today to talk about this reality we all face which is death. Chris, some people just don't like to talk about death and because it's so emotional and obviously so permanent. Yet with the recent death of the basketball great Colby Bryant, everyone is talking about this tragedy. And I am amazed personally that we focus only on his accomplishment while he was alive. But in death, we should actually be focusing on the assurance of spending time in eternity with God, shouldn't we? We sure should. I have two sons in basketball, and they took it pretty hard. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go back 40-some years. When I was in high school, senior in high school, my best friend committed suicide. And I thought everything was rosy until his death. It totally rocked my world. It shattered me. And it was the ultimate wake-up call. And it totally changed my life. And I can't believe I can say this. I mean, 42 years later, I thank God on some level for his death because it changed everything for me. And of course, the ultimate death was Jesus. Now, I didn't care about Jesus' death at that time, let me tell you. Until I went to that church, it was packed. Hundreds of people, I was sitting in between my parents and they were distraught. Hundreds of people were speechless, and it forced me to think about the ultimate examination, and the rest is history for me. And so, you know, Larry, I was into philosophy, and I listened a lot to the Beatles, and you know, a lot of songwriting is philosophy. What you'd like to have, like John Lennon had a very famous song called uh, Imagine, and he said, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. Well, to imagine those things are okay, but the reality is the ultimate source in history is Jesus. But up until then, up until Christ, there was three philosophers, Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato. And they pontificated about death. In my studies, I found out that philosophy, the original purpose was dealing with the concept of death and the afterlife. Now, we don't hear a lot about that today, right? So I was really fascinated, and Plato is very famous for saying, look it, 
you're going to live this life, and death is one of two things. It's either nothingness. You go into the out into the atmosphere, and it's nothing, absolutely nothing, zero consciousness. Or it is total consciousness or even greater consciousness than you have now, and your soul is migrating to a place that we don't know about. So here's the deal. I remember so many people have been into the Egyptian Book of the Dead, okay? That was a almost the equivalency of the Bible for the, the Egyptian people. And it was a thousand years of Egyptian priests talk about death and what it means and where do they go. Well, they didn't have any divine insight. And then there's the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And that is another book. It's uh, Hindu, Buddhist, you know, where you are going into another, you're transitioning into a different sphere. 49 days later, you have a rebirth. Now, again, that's why Jesus is so fascinating. Here's a guy who, by all historical accounts, died at minimum, right? Mm -hmm. But the question is, did he really physically resurrect? This is the ultimate question in history. Did Jesus die? Where did he go? And did he physically resurrect? I think there's overwhelming evidence for that. But is that enough? I find out, Larry, that funerals, I really like funerals. I'm going to tell you why. It is the most sobering thing that happens to a person on a semi-regular basis. So now you and I are pushing the back. We're pushing old age, you're right. But I would happen to agree with you. I would prefer to do a funeral than a wedding as a pastor, as a former pastor, as a minister, because I think you can talk very poignantly about life and about death at a funeral. Weddings, obviously, you can't. It's not yeah. It's not appropriate. Right. So that's why I love to tell the truth at a funeral. I agree with you. You know, I've had different heroes in my life before I met Jesus. And, you know, they had sayings like, going to a funeral at least yearly should sober the average man up to reevaluate his life. And I think we live in a culture, at least in the Western world, where we try to distance ourselves from the ultimate destiny. We're guaranteed that our ticket is going to be punched sooner than later. And in Kobe Bryant's case, he's 41. He went to church that morning with his daughter, and he had zero idea, along with seven other people or nine total, that he is going to meet his maker. But that is a reality, really, when we talk about death for any one of us, right? Any one of us could get diseased and and die within a few uh, short years, or we get in a traffic accident or a plane crash. I mean, death is imminent. We just don't know when, but it's imminent for all of us. But all these books of the dead you've mentioned have interesting philosophies built on speculation and perhaps tradition. But when death occurs, isn't it an accountability time then? Because the Bible says that a person dies once and then comes the judgment. To me, judgment is accountability. What kind of judgment is that? I think death is just a transition, but then you stand before God himself. And then you have to give an account. That's what the Bible teaches. You know, I, I know I called you and told you that I was at a gas station and a, a black gentleman pumping gas next to me. And as you know, I love to do these impromptu heeb polls, right? You've been with me, etc. And I said, hey, brother, how you doing? He goes, oh, you know, all I can think about is Kobe dying. He goes, it just, it just makes you realize you can die at any time and then you got to deal with reality. I said, you know, I really appreciate what you just said. And I told him I was a clergy and prison chaplain. I said, I wish there was actually people that died more often 
that made us evaluate our lives. Now, I feel really good about death because Jesus went before us and we know that he knows what he's talking about. I lay the blame, a lot of this blame, at the feet of the modern clergy who keep almost every significant topic of pain at a distance. When was the last time you heard a fire and brimstone message? You heard a message about judgment. And you know, people have heard me on your show on numerous occasions. And when I step into a church, are you preparing your people for life after death, which is forever, right? Forever. I rarely, other than a funeral, I almost never hear that. And if you think about it, Larry, the Bible, which is a made-up term for this book, is really the book of life and death. It starts out with life in Genesis, and it ends up with death and judgment in Revelation. However, the end result of death is the fact that what's going to happen afterward, I think that's more of an important message of death than death itself, because we're all going to die. But then, what happens after death? What's the next moment that is going to take place once you have your last breath and your heart stops with its last beat? What do you do? What happens? I think that is the question that we need to answer today about death. I have a, a handful of pet studies in my life, and one of them is near-death experiences. I've probably spent 50 hours watching interviews on YouTube, etc., with people that have supposedly died legally, clinically have been dead. What happened to them? And I'm very fascinated by that. Now, I'm not obsessed with death, believe me, but if death is in Christ, you're actually being promoted to the pinnacle of consciousness and purpose. And you, yes, you have your report card on your life. You're going to be before the throne of God at one point in your life. Well, it is the final examination, right? Yes. Because once you die, then comes the judgment, and that, that judgment is before Almighty God. And do you know what's interesting, Chris, and I, I've never been able to really figure out exactly what this means, but Jesus said, every, every idle word that you've ever spoken, you'll be held accountable for. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm standing before Almighty God, and the kind of accountability I think he'll probably spend more time with is, you know, how did I live my life toward others? How did I live my life with Christ if I was a Christian, et cetera, et cetera? Or why didn't I accept Christ's offer of eternal life and forgiveness in this life? You know, those are the, the weightier questions I think Almighty God is going to examine us on that final day. But those idle words, Chris, I mean, so judgment is not just in the big stuff, right? It'll also be an accountability for the small stuff. I've been watching a series on PBS. It's a show called Grantchester. And they do a little sermon in every single, you know, this is PBS British Mystery right? And a clergy is involved with a policeman. But he does a little sermon at the end of every show to talk about our lives and to evaluate our lives from God's standpoint. And I find it very enjoyable. And of course, you actually have to go to church to hear something like that. Now, this takes place in the early 50s after World War II, where millions of people, 50 million people died. And you had to deal with the concept of life and death. I don't think we deal with the topic of death enough. I will be very fascinated to see how the Kobe Bryant death and funeral are handled 
because it will bring people temporarily to the ultimate topic, the ultimate destination. And my favorite thing to do is to go to people in the hospitals that are going to die for sure. They're within hours or days. And we don't talk about sports. We don't talk about the weather. We don't talk about their bank account. We don't talk about anything like that. We talk about where are they going? What is going to happen? Is Jesus, can you trust him? Well, that's a huge question, and I think it's the only question that needs to be answered, not only just before you die, but really in preparation for death. I mean, and in all of life, you know, I don't care if you're 20 or you're 50 or 70 or 80. The point is, as we made earlier, we don't know the day of our death. So we should always be prepared for it. You know, the scriptures in in Revelation talks about a second death. And it's kind of interesting because I don't think a lot of people know there's a second death. We all know about the first death where we actually will die physically. But then there's a second death, which is a huge, huge implication. What is the second death? second death. Let me just read a portion of scripture from Revelation 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's some sobering thinking right there, Chris. It sure is. And I think you're, it was the Lamb's book of life. I wish we actually dealt a lot more with death in society. I'm being redundant because I think It ultimately gets down to the fear of God, the respect of God, the awe of God. I have a Wednesday group, and I recently challenged them with, I felt the Ten Commandments were primarily written for men. Think about it, 95% of the people in prison around the world are men. If they were in fear of God, truly in fear of God, well, they would stop killing, murdering, robbing, maiming, making war all over the place. Well, isn't the second death supposed to be somewhat of a fearful kind of thing? I mean, the second death, I mean, that was my question to you. What is it, and why should we revere it or fear it? If you don't know Jesus, you should be terrified. There was a very famous French philosopher named Voltaire. And Voltaire was a a French upper-crust comedian, philosopher, political adjutant. And he mocked God the last 30-plus years of his life. Well, he was very very well-to-do. His chambermaids and the people that took care of him at his home. He was screaming for a week leading up to his death. He said he constantly saw the flames of hell waiting to encompass him and that he said he could not repent. He was incapable of repenting and that he would deserve full judgment. Now, I'm trying to think of, he would have been on PBS if he was living today. He'd be one of those gurus about God and life, etc. Talking to people that are in the process of dying, Uh, Steve Jobs. I was reading about Steve Jobs, you know, one of the most famous, brilliant geniuses of, of all time, you know, the Apple phone computer guy. And he spent the last month of his life talking to everybody about death. Was he ready for it? What's on the other side? What could he do? Jesus' words are the most problematic words ever spoken in history. He said he was God. He said he had the keys of death. He had the keys of life. And if you do not follow him, if you do not live for him, 
you will be eternally judged. You cannot ignore him. Uh, C.S. Lewis used to teach that to his students. If you don't know the Bible's main message, which is God, heaven, and hell, and Jesus is the entrance, you don't know anything about life. So do we have that kind of education anymore? Not at all. And I have to admit, Larry, I was not looking for Jesus. I was not looking for the Lord until I was so shattered by my friend's suicide that I was forced to evaluate everything I thought, everything I believed, and I'm still doing it 42 years later. Well, that's where I want to conclude today, Chris, and I think you've summarized it fairly well from the C.S. Lewis story, but I want to know specifically if somebody's listening today and they're going, okay, I I don't really have any assurance after death that I'll be going into heaven or hell or whatever. So how do people, Chris, get an assurance of knowing that eternity is not a scary place if you do the right things here in this life. Tell us the story of the gospel. You know, Larry, do the right things. There's only one thing that matters. All of us are unbelievably flawed, broken, mistaken, sin-driven. You need to physically, ideally, get on your knees and ask God to forgive you for your narcissism, your pride, your self-assurance, your self-worth that Everything that you could ever bring to the table is irrelevant. Only through the blood on the cross do you stand a chance of making it into the kingdom. And I think we're like automatically programmed to try to earn everything for the most part. Okay, your job, a spouse, accolades, rewards, trophies, etc. And that's where Kobe Bryant did in this life, but I'm sure he found out other than through Jesus Christ's forgiveness on the cross, you are a total beggar and totally lost. Get on your knees, ask God to forgive you based upon what Jesus did on the cross for you, and God will give you the self-assurance, when I say self-assurance, his assurance that you've been forgiven. And there's a peace that's going to come over you that's unexplainable. It happened to me It's happened to, I think, billions of people in history. The ultimate forgiveness is Jesus Christ. We use words, at least in the church, like accepting Christ as my Savior or as my Lord. So that's what you're actually doing when you're asking for his forgiveness. You are accepting his forgiveness by what he did on the cross. You are actually asking him to be your Savior. Is that right? Yes, and I would say you're asking God to make his sacrifice yours, and you have nothing to offer. It's a pretty interesting place to be, Larry. And again, that's what I love about funerals. If the preacher preaches the ultimate truth, that we are going to have an examination. In this life, we are judged all the time, every day, on everything. There's constant examinations, yet we don't prepare for the ultimate one, and there's only one answer, it's Jesus. It's that simple. Well, you know, receiving Christ as my Savior has literally been life-changing for me. His Word has changed my life and made it so much better. And you know, we all need salvation. Every person without Christ is a sinner. We sin, we do things wrong, and we cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right with God. But if we turn to Jesus and receive Him as our Savior, then we are forgiven, 
we're made right with God. He pays the price for our sins, and we can begin a brand new life with him. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things pass away, and all things become brand new. You must be born again, and that means that you receive Christ as your only hope of forgiveness and spending eternity with him, but it also means that you repent. And that means you're sorry for your sins and you're ready to turn and go in a new direction. And if that's you today, you say, I want to be forgiven. I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to live my life for God. I want to learn about him and I'm ready to surrender. Then I'd like you to pray this prayer with me right now. You just, I'm just going to pray a few words and then you pray it out loud. Father God, I love you. I believe in you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. I believe he paid the price for my sins. Please forgive me. I surrender my life to you today. Take me just the way I am and now make me what you want me to be. I believe I'm forgiven. I've been born again and I'm looking forward to my new life with you. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. This is the City Sites Podcast Network. 